Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hey, do you need a financial coach? If so, let's work together. As a coach, I help you get structure around your finances, visualize your ideal life, whatever that looks like for you, and more importantly, put together a strategy to help you get there. A lot of people hire me because they want to pay off debt faster and more efficiently and boost up their savings or increase their credit score, and those are all awesome goals. Financial coaching just helps you because I hold you accountable the entire way. Yeah, for better or worse, we're kind of like we're married. So if you want to take the podcast concepts that you're learning here and apply those to your life with my help, then you need to apply for coaching at WhitneyHanson.com slash customized dash coaching. Once again, that's WhitneyHanson.com slash customized dash coaching. I am so stoked to work with you and help you reach your financial goals. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. When you think about investing, what is the first word that comes to mind? It's probably retirement, right? I mean, right? Come on. I think so many of us associate investing with retirement specifically that we've kind of failed to remember that you can actually invest for other goals outside of retirement as well. And today's guest is going to show us exactly how to do it. If you aren't familiar with Tara Falcone, she has been a previous guest on this show. So she is a CFA, CFP, and she's founder and CEO of Reason, a goals-based investing platform empowering people to invest for specific goals in a more organized, intentional way. With Reason, you're able to view all of your investments in one place, allocate investments to specific goals, and simulate and track your success. Tara herself has a really interesting background. She grew up in a low-income family, became mostly financially independent at age 14, and was blessed with a full need-based financial aid scholarship to Yale University. After graduating in 2011, she began her finance career as a hedge fund analyst in New York City. It was there that her passion for investing was ignited, and she was so excited to share this passion with others and has been really focusing her entire career on financial literacy and helping us just be better with our finances. In today's episode, we cover a ton of ground. We talk about the light bulb moment that Tara had when she realized she could invest for things outside of retirement, how to start investing for short and midterm goals, investing equation that will help you identify which investments to consider, why she started a goals-based investing app, how to use the SUCK score to help you choose your investments, and a different take on capital gains taxes for short and medium-term goals. 
Guys, I think this episode is a slam dunk. It is so interesting and so good, and I know you're going to learn a ton from it. But because Tara is brand new into this new app and this new venture, and it's a really good one, I have to be honest, I'm really a big fan of everything that this app is and where it's headed. If you want to try out the app and help her out as well, give her some feedback, let her know how it's going, you can go to WhitneyHanson.com reason, and that's going to take you directly to the app store so you can start to download. And if you do decide to use this app, just do me the biggest favor, use that link. It's so helpful to see how many people from this episode actually went and downloaded it. You know what I mean? It's really great for business owners. I don't know if you know that, but it is very helpful. All right. With that being said, let's go ahead and turn the mic over to my friend, Tara Falcone. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode today. I'm joined by a previous guest, Miss Tara. Thank you so much for hanging out. Yeah, of course, Whitney. It's always a pleasure. I'm really excited to be back. Thank you. It's been a minute, friend. So fill us in. Last time we spoke, you were living in Japan. You were like just doing a lot of education on YouTube. Where are you today? What are you up to? Yeah, it's been quite a whirlwind since I we first you know chatted in 2017. That was, and I was living in Japan. My husband's in the Navy, so we've moved around a lot since then. And I've crazily enough started two businesses <laughs> since then. The first was a virtual financial literacy program called Lit that we licensed to colleges across the country. And the second is now Reason, which is a goal based investing app to help people achieve their very specific investing goals, from a surfboard to a home down payment, all the way to retirement. But how that ended up happening was like. I left Wall Street in 2015, really wanted to create a solution for retail investors back then. But retail investing hadn't really taken off in the way recently. Like Robinhood, believe it or not, was just a couple of years old back then. And so I was like, all right, I have to wait for the market to catch up for me to create something for everyday retail investors. And the, you know, the urgent kind of need that I saw in the market was to fill this financial literacy hole in colleges create the personal finance 101 course we all should have had. And then did that, started to scale that, waiting for my time to create something for investors. And then in 2020, that happened. And I've been on the you know dual business <laughs> route ever since. Which is like super exhausting. How are you prioritizing and managing your time with both businesses? Yeah, great question. Lit is really it's kind of low maintenance on my side, except last year we completely revamped all the content. So, um, you know, we learned a lot the first couple of years of, of creating that and serving students and the administrators who work with them. And so last year we refilmed all of the content, added some software tools, and did that. So last year was a heavy lift. But ever since, you know, it's outside of like the selling season and renewal season of the spring and summer, it doesn't take much of my time to manage. But now that I'm super focused on reason, I'm in an accelerator called Techstars, and you know, we're looking at raising capital and growing a team for that. Though it doesn't take much time, it still takes space in my brain, which is kind of hard to shift between. So I think, you know, I'm probably spending 95 to 97% of my time on reason right now uh, and a tiny bit here and there on it still. There may be some news coming out about that in uh, the near future, but I'll keep you posted. Woohoo. That's exciting. Yeah. That'd be fun. Tell us a little bit. Okay. So I, I think it's always so fascinating to see where people that are in the financial community, where their passion came from. So why, why are you so passionate about money? Yeah, it really comes from my um, upbringing and some, you know, unfortunate kind of traumatic things that I went through financially as a young person. So I grew up in a low-income family in rural Michigan. My dad was the breadwinner. He was what they call a tool and die guy. So he worked at a factory. Um, and unfortunately, he got really sick when I was 10. He was 33. Um, and he ended up passing away when he was 36 and I was wow. 13 years old. 
Yeah. And uh, there was no life insurance. There was a lot of credit card debt. Like it was just a really bad situation for me as a 13 year old and my stepmom, who was only 30, which, you know, when you're 13, you think 30 year olds have like life figured out, like they're adults. (laughs) Um, I got closer. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I got closer to 30 and realized that that is not the case. And I probably was a little harsher on her back then than I should have been. But yeah, so that really, you know, forced me to become financially independent at a really young age learned about, you know, money, budgeting, how to stretch a $20 bill way farther than it should when I was younger. And I ended up channeling all of that energy in school um, into my schoolwork because that's what I had control over. That ended up earning me a full need-based financial aid scholarship to Yale, which is to this day and probably for the rest of my life, the greatest gift I'll ever be given. It, you know, taking a girl from rural Michigan who had little financial prospects and then basically plucking her up into a different like level of society and opportunity. And like all of these things was just tremendous. But while I was there, I looked around and I was like, oh my gosh, like there are people here that have money. I've never even thought of, (laughs) or like, like the the wealthy people in my hometown are dentists. You know what I mean? Like these people are like managing directors of investment banks. Like it's like a really different, um, different world there financially. And so I worked all my way through college, just again, trying to get by. Thankfully, you know, my school intuition was paid for, but I got to the end of my senior year, three months before graduation and realized that I couldn't afford to apply to medical school. So I had done all of this work. I'd gotten, you know, 4.0, 3.8, whatever it was I ended up graduating with did really well in my college class. It got published as like in a medical journal, like all the things you're supposed to do. Yeah. All the things you're supposed to do to go to medical school. And I couldn't afford to take that next step. And I was like, what do I do? Like it's three months before graduation. I don't want to go back to my hometown and like waitress at the big boy. I used to waitress at. That'd be embarrassing. You know, like I don't want to do that. And a lot of my friends, including my now husband had gone and done internships on wall street. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, there's this whole world dedicated to money that has stressed me out my whole life. So like Maybe I should learn something about that. And I'm the only person in my family that has this opportunity now to actually learn about this, to insert myself into that world and break that paycheck to paycheck lifestyle that we had grown up with. So I applied to lots of finance jobs on the job board. I luckily got picked up by a small hedge fund in New York City who could just see how hungry I was to learn their business. And turns out I loved it. I was, you know, investing in stocks for wealthy clients and like learning about, you know, valuation and like all of this Uh stuff. And it was just absolutely fascinating to me um, that you could put your money to work to make money instead of trading your time for dollars, which is what I had done my whole life. Um, But over time, I got really disconnected from the wealthy clientele that I was serving. My husband left Wall Street to join the Navy. um, And then that is what really propelled me to leave and kind of like pick up my bootstraps and figure out a way to be resourceful and serve a broader audience of people, which I've been doing ever since. So what was the draw to running your own business? Like, is that something when you were a kid you thought you would do? Or is this a new thing when you moved? You're like, all right, figure it out. It's new. I mean, I think... Growing up, I really, because of what happened to me when I was younger, my dad passing and all that instability, I really craved stability. I wanted like a very clear path, a very obvious, good paying job, which is why I was on this track to become a doctor. Um, You know, it's basically like, oh, if you do your 10 years, then you get, you graduate and you make like 200K a year and like you're doing great. And it was really my husband leaving Wall Street joining the Navy that made me kind of realize, okay, I'm not going to be able, if I want to support him in his career and be with him, I'm not going to be able to like, apply to new jobs every two years in finance. Mm -hmm. That's not going to work. Like the military spouse unemployment rate, for those of you who don't know, is like 25 plus percent, which is outrageous. 
because there's so many smart, educated spouses, men and women in the military spouse community like me who can't get jobs because they're moving so frequently. Now with remote work, it's getting a little bit better. But back then in 2015, I saw the writing on the wall. I was like, I will not be able to control my own destiny trying to continue working for other people. And so I was like, I'll try my hand at entrepreneurship. My grandparents were entrepreneurs. I never talked to them about their entrepreneurial journeys before then, though. I just knew that they seemed to have a lot of time on their hands and like, you know, it's money to do stuff and the kind of freedom and flexibility to like be places at certain times that they wanted to. And yeah, so it was, it was really kind of bred out of necessity. But then once I got my kind of bearings and realized I'm a problem solver, I can identify problems and try to create solutions to help those people. And it gives me this freedom that I would never have otherwise with a lot of instability too, you know, like making a paycheck is not easy starting out as an entrepreneur. I just kind of went all in. I was like, well, this is how I can control my destiny right now. And I'm going to try my hardest to make it happen. And you always stuck with personal finance. Is that right? I did. Yeah. So um, whether it's been, you know, doing speaking engagements or, you know, trying to sell courses online and then leading into general personal finance for the college audience and then really narrowing down the scope into investing with reason. That's always been where I've kind of focused my time. I think when I left Wall Street, there was a bit of advice from someone named Marie Forleo, who's kind of like a coach, career coach, et cetera, who said, hey, you know, ask five people who know you really well what you're good at. Like, what are you their go-to person for? Mm. Um, And I asked people that question and I was really interested to discover that a lot of people said teaching. And like, they're like, we come to you when we need you to explain something that's complex in a very easy to understand way. And we don't want to feel stupid. (laughs) Like we want you to feel like we're supported and you're helping us here. And I was like, well, what do I know a lot about that other people don't? And I realized money, weirdly enough, despite my upbringing, my early professional career had prepared me to teach other people about money, specifically investing. And so that's what I've been leaning into um, ever since. And it's been quite a ride. I love it. So tell us a little bit about Reason. I'm personally very excited about this. I think this is a really fun business and a new venture for you, but tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind Reason and why you started that. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I really wanted when I left Wall Street in 2015 to create a solution for retail investors as I had learned how to choose stocks and like figure out what was a good Mm -hmm. investment versus a bad investment. I felt like nobody else that I knew in my family or friend circle like had any idea how to do that. And I'm like, oh, there's you're leaving money on the table here because this is possible. Like you're all smart enough to figure this out. Um, But the market, the timing wasn't right. And then I was kind of biding my time and then 2020 happened. So all of a sudden, everybody at home, they're bored. They, you know, Robinhood and all these other companies had created these platforms that, you know, wiped commission fees to zero. So now the barriers of entry are much, much lower. And you see everybody jumping in on these super low friction platforms when the market's dropping as they see this opportunity that I think we as millennials have been told, you need to invest, you need to invest, you need to invest, like our whole adult life. And they're like, now is my moment. This is the once in generation, you know, lifetime moment of like totally. generating returns. So everybody's diving in. As a, well, I guess one of the pieces of the stories that I skipped was that while I was in Japan, before I created Lit, I became a certified financial planner and a CFA charter holder because oh, I wanted... That's right. Right. So I was like studying nonstop because I wanted to understand how active investing and more technical, you know, choosing individual stocks, things like that could actually fit into somebody's holistic financial picture Mm. because the personal finance kind of crowd, um, you know, gurus, et cetera, would sort of tell you, no, don't invest for short to medium term things, only invest in like ETFs and index funds for long-term. And like, that's all that investing should be for. And I really wanted to understand how I could take the work I used to do at a hedge fund 
and apply that to normal people. So I got those mm. two credentials um, to really fit together. Uh, and it's been interesting to see how that developed. So 2020, I'm sitting there watching all of this happen. And I'm like, why are people doing this? Like as a certified financial planner, the first questions we ask you is like, what are you trying to achieve? Why are you here? How can I help you? And so I started infiltrating these like these personal finance groups and like investing Facebook groups, especially ones for women. And I'm like, why are you all here? Like, what are you doing? And I was really fascinated to get these like answers that were, oh, I'm trying to buy a house in three to five years. I want to pay off my car. I want to pay off my student loans. I want to go on a trip when lockdown's over. Um, and I want to go, you know, to like a nice place, not like, you know, drive to Ohio or like whatever it might be. Um, and I'm <laughs> formerly from Ohio, so I feel like I can knock on Ohio a little bit. <laughs> or I want to like have feel less guilty about certain things I spend money on, whether mm-hmm. it's like my daily coffee um, or a Peloton bike. Or um, you know a nanny for my kids every now and then, like things like that. And I was like, oh, that's really that's what you're trying to achieve with investing. Fascinating. Next question: How are you choosing investments to match those goals? Mm-hmm. Because every single goal that I was being told has a different time horizon associated with it. A house in three years versus a trip next year, right? And also a different risk tolerance profile associated with it. So like your house is really important. You don't want to lose that money. But the trip, it's like, well, if it, you know, if I lose money on that, like maybe I'll just wait a little longer to go on the trip yeah. or I'll go to Frankfurt, Kentucky instead of Frankfurt, Germany. You know what I mean? Like you can make, <laughs> you can make trade-offs, <laughs> trade-offs. Exactly. You can make those trade-offs. And they were like, I have no idea. I'm following so-and-so on Twitter. I'm buying fractional shares in 50 companies and like five crypto. And I'm hoping one of them goes to the moon and I never have to worry about money again. And I'm like, okay, so you're trying to hit the lottery in the stock market. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is not the answer. <laughs> Um, and then I would ask them, okay, but how are you tracking any of this? And a couple people said, I've built a really detailed spreadsheet to kind of track this, to say, hey, these are the investments I have. These are the ones that I've kind of earmarked for my house. These are the other ones I've earmarked for my trip. Um, and these are the other ones that I want to fuel, you know, like YOLO, fuel like a mm-hmm. coffee habit or like a, you know, a splurge purchase or whatever it might be. Totally. But most people just said, well, I'm like just doing mental accounting. So, you know, all these platforms offered me a free stock or crypto during the during the lockdown. So like I have five accounts and I have a little bit of money in each. And so I open all of them once a week. I mentally sum how much I have across all of them. And then I take it a step further, which is to say, okay, and a third of it is for this goal. Half of it is for this other goal. And the rest is for X, Y, and Z. What? Right. So like people are doing this in their head because there's no other solution. And I was like, oh, interesting. And funnily enough, it reminded me of when I was still working on Wall Street. And my now husband came to me and he said, I have this much money saved for your engagement ring, Hmm. but the one I want to buy you is more expensive. Are there like, what should I invest my kind of my ring fund in to be able to afford the ring I want to get you? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I was a female investment analyst. So like what better carrot, you know, pun intended for me <laughs> to be like, oh, I've got some ideas. Like, this is what I do. People pay yeah, me to sure. do this, right? <laughs> um, this is like, this is easy. This is a, a cakewalk. And so funnily enough, like, it's just, it's interesting how life works in full circle. I sent him back then what is now the very rudimentary prototype for reason, which mm. was a spreadsheet of like five to 10 different companies I had researched my price target for each. So like the price at which I thought he should sell each of those assets in order to capture the profits or gains from them to then put toward uh, the ring, right? Yeah. And then um, he was able to play around with potential allocations and see, okay, if I bought this mix of stocks A, B, and C, 
it might get me this close to my goal if they each reach these like sell prices versus if I buy this much of stocks X, Y, and Z, it might get me closer to my goal if they reach those prices and then was able to make investment decisions based off of that. That Uh, That's so crazy. Yeah. And over the course of a year, we doubled this ring fund. I got a beautiful engagement ring out of it. <laughs> you're like, Take um, carrots, baby. <laughs> yeah. Not, not, to, no, not that engaged. Yeah. If you're just listening and not watching this, then, um, it's, uh, it's, it's very nice. I won't. Yeah. But it's not it's like beautiful. Kim, it's not Kim Kardashian-esque or anything like that. But that was really the moment for me where I was like, oh, I can use investing to achieve things that are not retirement. Like it was like a light bulb moment for me back when I was 23 or however old I was then. Um, And seeing people having this intention to do the same thing, but not the tools or knowledge of how to do it that I had. I was like, there's gotta be a tech solution for this. And so I put together some prototypes. I did a bunch of customer discovery in 2020, kind of refined that idea through early 2021, kept doing that, um, got a lot more feedback, made, you know, figured out exactly what the scope of the first version of the app should be. Um, and then we started building it in October of last year, which is crazy to say it hasn't even been a year yet. And um, it's, you know, the, the vision just got bigger as we kept building it. Um, and now we have this big vision to actually not just be this dashboard that allows you to like, mm-hmm view your investments through a goals-focused lens, but actually do much more than that. Create community, show you why other people are invested in certain things, not just what they're invested in, um, help you make bigger decisions about what you should assign to which goal. And then also eventually let you transact on the platform too, so that you don't have to, you know, go back to your Robinhood account to sell anything or, you know, whatever. You can just do that straight from, from our platform and then actually pay for the thing you were investing for right from us. Break that down. You you gave an example of like how your husband would have loved to use that. I think that's such a good analogy and such a good way of seeing how this could work. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as I mentioned, we started building the app, the first version of it, which was just meant to be the kind of this like goals focused dashboard Mm -hmm. um, in October. Then my husband came home Thanksgiving morning. I will never forget this. Uh, he works on a ship. And so he he was standing a watch in the middle of the night. He has been investing in crypto to buy a surfboard. And so he came home and he was kind of, he's this like hot-headed Italian from Jersey. So he was like all in a tizzy. And I was like, what? And he's like, <laughs> I could have had my surfboard. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well... The crypto I've assigned to my surfboard reason, because he's like my first adopter, right, of the app. Um, The crypto I've assigned to my surfboard reason spiked overnight. But by the time that I saw it in the morning, it had gone back down. So I didn't have enough. At one point, I had, you know, the $850 I need to buy my surfboard. Mm-hmm. in crypto. But, you know, uh, once I saw it, it had gone back down to like 750 or something. And now I don't have enough. And now I don't have my surfboard. And I was like, that's really interesting. Like, would you have wanted us to sell the crypto you had assigned to your surfboard reason, like at that threshold? And not only that, but then use those mm-hmm. funds to buy the surfboard in your cart at rusty.com, let's say. Mm-hmm. He's like, could you do that? And I was like, Oof, there's a lot you know, to do between like where we're at today and there, but yeah, I think that's possible. And it just got me thinking about how there's all these barriers around account types. And of course, taxes come into play and, and what have you. But like, I think part of the reason that investing feels so like nebulous and vague and kind of away from like your day-to-day financial life is because these things don't like work in sync very well together. They don't. don't. And it's weird because there's been so much advancement in fintech and investing tech specifically, but it hasn't gotten to like that level where it's like really frictionlessly fits into your life. Um, And so that got me really thinking about how else this could be used. Like another example I gave was like, you know, if you get a dividend for being a Starbucks shareholder, imagine in the future being able to walk into Starbucks or another coffee shop of your choice and spending that dividend to buy a coffee. 
without having so to move, cool. yeah, without having to move the dividend back to your savings or checking account first. Like that'd be really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's lots of other use cases that we could do that too. But um, that's where that's where we're headed, and uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a lot of work. But I'm really excited to see it come to life. I think it's so exciting. You also got me thinking too. I wonder if Starbucks would ever do that where your dividends get turned into gift cards. Yeah, there's there's a lot of corporate partnership opportunities on that front that is yeah. I think going to happen kind of in between where we are today and there. Um because, you know, there's a lot of regulation around sure. trading, buying and selling and investments and then and around transactions too. Um but there may be an easier thing that we could do where we have partnerships. We know that people, Hey, one of, you know, a common reason in the app is coffee habit, right? Like there are people who want to like feel less guilty hundred percent. I'm raising my hand. Um, (laughs) people want to feel less guilty about this purchase. Hey, Starbucks, what if instead we figure out a way to like make this happen to look, you know, make it easier for them to be your customer, to come in more frequently, to feel less guilty about being there. It increases brand loyalty. It does a, it's a, there's a lot of like symbiotic, um, value that could be generated from stuff like that be so cool. I love where the direction of this app is going. And I like that it's starting with an easy place so you can see all of your investments and make those decisions a little bit more quickly. I'm curious for some people that have never really heard of maybe short or midterm investing. And they're like, what the hell? This is even an option. I didn't realize this. How do you, how do you get that education first and foremost to start investing short to midterm? So I think it's really important to educate people that there's an equation, right? That you have to use, whether it's you're investing for something that's really long-term or short-term. And there are certain variables in that equation that you have control over. And there are other ones that you kind of don't. Um, So you have control over how much you are starting with, how much you're kind of plunking down to start with towards that goal. You have control kind of over how much you're trying to achieve. Um, So you set how much you're, you know, working toward, and then you can decide how long of a timeframe you have is that, 50 years, like retirement, if you're starting at 20, um, or is it five years for a home down payment or, you know, whatever that time horizon Mm -hmm. is. And then you can decide how you want to invest the money that you're plunking down and, or whether you want to contribute more to that, um, over the course of that time horizon as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think that a lot of people just assume that they should, you know, put money in and it's this thing that you have to do consistently over decades and that, um, they, you know, need to choose investments that like match their risk tolerance, et cetera. When in reality, it's like, well, if you know how much you're starting with and you know how much you need, and you know, the time horizon that you're trying to achieve that in, or turn this amount of money into that amount of money, then the number in the, like the, the variable in the equation that gets spit out is the return that you need to generate. Yes. That return should dictate which investments you buy because Hmm. Different investments generally have different return profiles and risk profiles, of course. Um, but if you're investing for a home that's, you know, you want to buy in five years, what you would invest to achieve that looks very different than maybe some crypto you're investing to buy a surfboard that's shorter term. So I think just understanding like how that equation works and which of the, which variables you have control over, kind of the levers that are in, you know, your toolbox mm-hmm. uh, is really the first place. Because as soon as I show somebody like, hey, this is if you want this, you have this and you want this and you have this time horizon to do it and you they, you need to generate this amount of return and these types of assets, this mix of assets can help you do it. It's like a, like a light bulb goes off. Yeah. You're like, wait, what? It's that simple? I'm like, yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Obviously, we don't have control over market movements. And so sure. you might, part of that is like, okay, well, what happens if like my husband crypto drops when he wants his surfboard? It's like, well, he has a decision. He can either choose to wait longer to get that surfboard and hope that 
the investments come back up over that time that he's waiting, mm-hmm. or he can decide to take money from a different goal, perhaps, because we all have constraints, sure. take money from a different goal and say, no, I still want the surfboard today. So I'm going to take this cash or these investments from a different goal and assign them to this one instead so that I can achieve my surfboard now, knowing that that might change my equation for a different goal that I'm investing for. It's a really good point too. I, I like that you mentioned the constraints because that that is an option. Like you don't have to be so... I guess, rigid with those decisions, you can pull from other places and still make your goals work. And I like that. I think that seeing it all in one place, like on the dashboard of reason, I think is so helpful for making those decisions versus that mental accounting of like, well, how much do I have in this one? And what about over here? It's like, now you can clearly see, Hey, here's what you have in front of you. I think it's really smart. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, when people are doing mental accounting, it's incredibly faulty, obviously. Yeah, and so, for sure. <laughs> right. And so like, we're all like, oh, I'm, if I, you know, I'm going to use this money for this, but then we yeah. somehow end up sort of earmarking the same pot of money for multiple things. <laughs> I've so done that before. Yes. Right. And you sort of forget because if you're just keeping track of it in your head, like you're not, you're not really like concretizing that anywhere. What reason allows you to do is take all of that out of your head, put it into a really easy to use interface that then enforces those constraints for you. Mm -hmm. So like to give you a sense, if you own 10 shares of Apple, right? You can on reason assign all 10 of those shares to one goal. And when you do that, you don't see them available to assign to any other goals because they're not cool. You've earmarked them for this, but if you want to say, I have 10 shares of Apple, but I want to assign seven of them to this goal that I want to achieve in three years, and I want to assign the other three to this goal that I want to assign, I want to achieve in just a year. Mm-hmm. You can do that on reason too, because oh, we allow really you cool. to take one holding and split it across different reasons. Because realistically, if you're investing in things, you're likely not going to sell that entire investment all at once to do something. You're going to sell it at different points along the way exactly. to achieve certain things. Reason is just a super easy way for you to do that. And we sort of enforce those constraints that you otherwise might forget about uh, when you're doing mental accounting. When you're helping people understand short to midterm investing, I think naturally, especially people that listen to this podcast, I think the brain is so ingrained to think ETFs and index funds. Like that's what we've talked about most on this show. We haven't really talked about picking stocks or we've talked about crypto and like the basics of it, but I don't know if people understand that. So Is this something where, let's say I want to take a trip to Greece in two years and it's going to cost $3,000. So I have $0 today. So I'm looking at that growth from zero to $2,000 or $3,000 and I need two years. So it's got to grow pretty dang quickly with my initial contribution. So is this something where people can still do ETFs and index funds for that like perceived safety or is it something where they're mostly choosing single and single stocks? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and it really comes down to kind of like, uh, there's a lot of technical stuff, but like concentration and diversification. So, um, the answer is yes, it is possible. However, um, if you're going the ETF route, because maybe that makes you feel a little more comfortable, it's likely less volatile. They're more diversified. Um, you're not like putting all of your eggs into one basket just recognize that in that equation we were talking about earlier that you may need to invest a certain amount to start and then a certain amount every month along the way um, in the expectation that perhaps your return that you'll get from those ETFs is kind of a a more steady 6 8%, whatever that might be over the course of that time, depending on what type of ETF you're investing in. The interesting thing about 
individual stocks. And this is where I'm kind of going back into my hedge fund analyst world, like life, where I'm always at war with this, right? I'm a certified financial <laughs> planner. And so I'm like, you know, ETFs and index funds for long-term investing. But then I'm a former hedge fund analyst who believes in active investing. I think that the market is inefficient in certain ways. I think there are opportunities with specific companies where there are certain things happening in the market or society or the economy or the Fed or, you know, taxes mm-hmm. or whatever that give certain companies an unfair advantage for a very specific amount of time. Um, and in that case, depending on what the goal is, um, if you have maybe a lower risk tolerance associated to that goal, you may put some money at risk knowing or hoping that you might get an outsized return from a particular Mm -hmm. stock or a particular group of stocks because they're in a certain industry and you think they have a more, you think they have an unfair advantage right now versus the rest of the market. Um, But just know that that does come with more risk. So you're basically betting on the success of a company or maybe five to 10 companies that you're choosing rather than investing your money into an ETF that maybe invests in 50 to 500 companies um, on your behalf. So it's an interesting kind of thing to think about. And ultimately, it comes down to what I like to call a suck score, um, which we are trying to figure out how to incorporate into the app somehow. But basically, when you're thinking about a a specific financial goal that you're investing for, ask yourself, how much would it suck if I lost this money? Like how much, right? Like this is so good. Yeah. It's like, how much would it suck if I lost this? Or if I'm not able to achieve it on the time horizon that I've set. So like, if it's a really Mm. big, like I really like a wedding, right? Like we've set a time horizon and like, this is what we want to do. There's a, there's a very high suck score associated with something like a wedding and a home down payment and maybe like kids or something Mm -hmm. versus like a trip or a surfboard or your coffee habit or whatever, a little bit lower suck score. Like it would kind of suck. It'd be sort of inconvenient, not great, but ultimately it's not going to like really negatively affect your life if you don't achieve it. So in thinking about how you might choose investments for that ETFs and index funds, which are more diversified, maybe a better route to go for things that have a higher suck score, right? That would really hurt if you didn't achieve them or if you lost that money temporarily even, um, or you're not able to achieve it on a certain time horizon versus things like individual stocks, crypto, and other types of investments. Maybe if you're just, you know, hitting a fly or you're just trying to make something happen and level up your life a little bit, but you don't care if you don't lose that money or it wouldn't really like, you know, have a negative consequence on your life, um, Mm -hmm. then individual assets may be a different way to potentially achieve a higher than average return to achieve those types of things. Um, but really it comes down to the person. So like you need to know what you're trying to achieve on what time horizon, what your suck score is for like every one of those things. Um, and then choose investments appropriately. I freaking love that so much. I have not heard anybody talk about the suck score. Nope. That's a Tara original right there. <laughs> That's yeah, so good. I should probably Makes trademark sense. that or something. Yeah, I know. The suck score. <laughs> That's so great. No, I mean, it makes a lot of sense though. You're right. Like when you have a lot more on the line and you're really, you know, we got to buy this house, no matter what, this is my goal. If that money goes away, that would suck. That, That that's detrimental in a big way. I like that concept too. So that gives me some ideas at least of how people can utilize these single assets in order to achieve their goals and just make it a little bit more fun and personal. What about the tax implications of this? Tax implications are like always the next question for anybody who's familiar with how like capital gains works and dividend, like ordinary dividend income gains and things like that. What's interesting, I think a lot of people don't realize, and I think your audience will appreciate, is that most of us get tax refunds, right? And we get tax refunds because we're overpaying our taxes throughout the year. True. 
ideally you don't want a refund. You kind of want to be net neutral. Like you don't want to get a refund because that means you overpaid throughout the year and you could have used that money Mm -hmm. to do other things. You also don't want to have to pay into the government because you pay too little in taxes. Cause like that doesn't, that has a high suck score too, right? Like we, we don't, <laughs> yes. we don't want to do that either. So if you run, if you look at the math, like average numbers, the average individual American in the United States receives somewhere between $2,000 and $3,500 in a tax refund every year. Um, and if you look at kind of where most Americans fall in the tax brackets, mm-hmm. generally it's in kind of like that 20 ish percent, um, tax range. So what that means is if you're getting like $2,000, let's say on average in a tax refund and you fall in like the 20% tax bracket, um, which I don't know, you may, may not, whatever, but you can run the math yourself. It's like, you can figure out exactly how much in capital gains you could generate in a year or dividends that you could generate in a year before it whittles your tax refund down to zero. And that's what I find fascinating because it's like, if you're, Smart. if you're getting a tax refund of $2,000 and you're in this, let's call it a 10% tax bracket. Sure. If you're in 10% tax bracket, then you can in theory, right. Generate $20,000 in like dividend income, taxable gains, et cetera, throughout the year before you owe the government any more money. You just won't get as big of a refund. Right. And so like, that's, that's, that's something we want to put on our website of like this calculator to help you figure that mm-hmm. out. Well, That'd how, be really helpful. I don't want people to worry about taxes because the likelihood is that the people who are using our platform are probably not going to be generating that much in tax of like capital gains each year that would apply at their ordinary income tax rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if they just understand the trade-off that like, Hey, you can either get these dividends throughout the year and spend them on your coffees, your trips, like things that you actually want to spend them on and then just have a smaller refund at the end of the year, or maybe no refund. Mm -hmm, Like what, which of those would you choose? Like personally, I would choose the former. I would rather, yeah. yeah, Like I'd rather enjoy my money now and then just have to file that as part of my tax return and not get a tax refund at the end of the year, rather than giving the government an interest-free loan and then, you know, getting it back like at the end of the year and then having all the pressure of like all these commercials being like, Oh, buy a new furniture, buy a new mattress. Like, you know, like, all that stuff. Like, I, no, I'm good. I just want these small things that make me feel a little more luxurious and less guilty throughout the year instead. That's such a good point. I don't think I've had anybody articulate it quite like that. Usually it's, I, I find so many people hold themselves back because of capital gains instead of just saying, you know, let's look at this rationally and a calculator like that would be so helpful. Side note, it'd be really great to be able yeah. to just plug it in and see, you know, this is what it actually does to your finances. It may not be that bad. Yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, if you know, would you make the trade-off of generating enough in dividend income to pay for a coffee a week and then your refund is just 500 bucks less or something like that? Like, uh, yes, probably, right? Like if you put <laughs> yes. that in front of people, the answer is usually yes. So oh, for um, sure. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's kind, kind of how I think about it on the tax front. Um, you know, we're not your accountant at the end of the day. So we can't, as of right now, at least cannot tell you, hey, if, you know, we see you've a signed these types of assets to this goal. Mm -hmm. You have these other similar assets that actually would have better tax treatment on this timeline um, and kind of help you make those trade-offs objectively. We might be able Mm -hmm. to do something like that later. But in the meantime, the best that we can educate you is, you know, here's what impact this might have on your personal finances. And 
hopefully kind of reduce a little bit of the fear around that, given that calculation that we just went through with tax refunds. I love it. I think it's so cool. I know some people are always so hesitant with apps. They always fear security, all that stuff. I know you're a very thoughtful person and a very thoughtful business owner. So this is something that you did not skimp on, but can you talk to us a little bit about some of the safety features? So if they do download Reason and they plug in all of their investments that they know that they're going to be okay? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we use a very, very popular and well-known company called Plaid to sync your investment accounts. If you've done anything with any kind of personal finance app um, or you know done anything online with money, period, you've probably used Plaid as an intermediary. They handle all of your like authentication. You you give them your login and password. Actually, when you go through Reason, we say link an account. And when you click that button, it actually pulls up Plaid's interface. So we don't see any of that. Um, all that we see is the holdings that are in your account that Plaid gives us. And so basically we fire those into our app. We show them everything that you own kind of in a long list. And then you're able to go in and assign things. We do not have write access to your investments. We only have read access. So like all that we can do is see what's there. We can't make any changes. It goes only goes one way. It doesn't go both ways. And so that's what we have at the moment. And then you also, um, we implemented like, you know, you create a, a, an account. We ver- have you verify your email. Um, you know, we've, we've got kind of all of the basic security kind of things in place so that, you know, Joe Schmo downloading the app can't all of a sudden see what you own. And even if he could, which he won't, but even if he could, he can't make any changes to it. Yeah. Um, he can't see your login info, can't see anything like that. And and Plaid is a trusted partner in that. And we feel, you know, has has all the property security measures as well. It's pre- yeah, pretty standard. So it, mm-hmm. anybody that links up there, yeah, they probably have used that. Yeah. Like and it. as far as, as far as data is concerned, cause I know some people are concerned about data, like totally. we're not going to be sharing your data anywhere. What the things that we will be doing are kind of like aggregating data. So like saying sure. like, Hey, here are the top reasons that people have created on our platform. Here are the ones that are trending here are like big reasons and oh, small reasons. Fun. Yeah. But we're not attaching like Whitney's name to that, for example. Yeah. And one of the other things that we're going to be able to do, uh, going back to your question about like choosing individual stocks versus like ETFs or index funds is showing you like, okay, you're investing for a home down payment. Mm-hmm. Here's what other people who are investing for a home down payment, here are the types of assets they've assigned oh, to I that. I fucking love that. Right? Because like, we all want to know like, wait, how are you doing this? Yeah, like, what are they doing? Are they doing know. better? I don't know. <laughs> right, exactly. So we'll be able to show you what other people are investing for, but no names oh. attached. We'll be able to show you kind of like, you know, uh, 10% of our users own Apple and here are the top reasons they've assigned that to. Right. So to give you a sense of how people think about Apple, the risk of Apple over a certain time horizon versus maybe the risk of Zoom stock or Snapchat or like, you know, other types of assets, uh, we'll be able to show you that kind of information. So we're not giving you investment advice, but we're kind of crowdsourcing insights from what other people are doing uh, and allowing you to kind of view that and make your own decisions based off of it. I'm about it. I think it's so fun. I love everything that you're up to. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to hang out with us and share a little bit more about Reason. So there's going to be a link in the show notes where you can go to download the exact app. It'll take you directly there. And if you do decide to use it, it's so helpful, especially with these early stage businesses. I just have to like really reiterate how helpful it is to have those early adopters. Yeah, I'll reiterate that too. Uh, downloads <laughs> and users are everything right now at these early stages. Yeah. It literally can make or break 
a business at the beginning. Like we need to go out and raise capital. We need to show investors that we have interest and users um, so that we can raise the money to do all these big things that I was just talking about on this podcast. So um, if you're interested at all interested in what we have talked about so far, please click that link and download Reason. We'd love to have you as an early adopter. um, And we will also grandfather you into any, you know, using it for free basically for a very long time before we start charging for it uh, in the future. That's what I'm excited about. (laughs) (laughs) Love the free stuff. You got to, I know. Before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fires? Oh yeah. Give them to me, Whitney. All right. First question for you. What's your current morning routine? So current morning routine, uh, especially in this Techstars Accelerator, I'm getting up pretty early around like five-ish on average. Sometimes it's a little earlier, sometimes a little later if I stay up too late working. Um, But right now it's kind of like wake up at five, take the dog out, give him food. And then right now I'm like diving right into work. Um, My uh, engineers on the East Coast, so we meet pretty early um, to kind of walk through what's going on and then uh, full day of programming and preparing and marketing and all that stuff. So um, I have busy days at the moment. I would say my normal routine when not in this kind of uh, program is waking up around like five, five 30, maybe six, um, getting like a, you know, light jogging or a workout of some sort, and then kind of having a slower morning running into, uh, starting to work. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, it's heavy right now for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely seasons. That's for sure. Okay. Next question for you. What's one book you find yourself gifting most often? Great question. I love this one. So um, there are two, depending on who I'm talking to and what they need. So if it's finance related, I have found myself gifting um, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss a lot. There are so many aspects of personal finance, um, business building, et cetera, entrepreneurship that uh, really comes down to negotiating. And even something as simple as negotiating a rent increase, negotiating for a car, like those are all things that Chris talks about in his book. And it's just fascinating how simple tricks like mirroring and some other behavioral psychological things that you can do really put the cards more in your favor uh, in those types of negotiating situations. So highly recommend that one. The other one is for anyone who is like feeling like they're at a roadblock or they're not sure of themselves or they feel like there's the resistance to certain things. Hmm. Um, The book is The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And it's a really easy read. I literally read it like while walking on the treadmill. Um, But it's fascinating because it kind of talks about how we all self-sabotage and how, you know, things we could just, as humans cannot never believe that things are going this well. Um, and so we find weird ways of like getting in our own way. And so he kind of highlights these like four kind of primary hurdles that we, um, as humans kind of all face. And it was interesting for me to highlight which two of those I really resonate with how they've affected my life thus far and how I can mm. be cognizant of them to not allow them to get in my own way going forward. Oh, I love it. Good tips. Okay. And then where's one location you're dying to travel to? Oh boy. Um, well, I've been to the Maldives and I would love to get back if I'm being honest. Um, but I think right now my husband, and I just want to go explore more of Europe. Um, you know, I've been to France a little bit was much when I was much younger. Um, and I've been to Spain and a few other places like Germany and Austria, uh, but there's just so much of Europe that is just stunning and that I want to explore more of for sure. Uh, especially like Greece is, is pretty high on the list right now. Oh yeah. Heck yeah. All of it. All right. Final question for you, friend. What is the secret to financial success? I think ultimately, and this really resonates with reason is that the secret to financial success for me is redefining what success means to you and how it is measured. I think so much of the investing industry is focused on 
return and alpha and beating the market and outperforming a benchmark or whatever, when in reality, what everyday people, you and me here listening, talking, what they care about is whether or not they're able to achieve their goal. Like the measurement of success is, did I get that thing? Was I able to do that thing or not? Right. That's how we measure success of our, any money moves that we make saving, earning, investing, whatever it is. And so I think that unfortunately the, the market the industry has kind of done people a disservice by focusing so much on return and outperforming things. I mean, largely, cause I think it's run by men, if I'm being completely honest. Totally. But I think what really matters is like, no, this is, these are the reasons that I'm investing. These are the reasons that I'm saving. I mean, if you redefine your success on just a simple, did I achieve it or not? And then you're able to, you know, if you didn't, why not? And learn from that experience. Um, I think that's really what the secret to financial success and financial fulfillment really is because success and fulfillment are very different. And if you, you can feel successful, but not fulfilled, you can feel fulfilled, but not successful. The goal is to hopefully feel both. I love it. Friend, this was so good to catch up with you and hear all the cool things you're up to. Congratulations on reason. That is a huge, huge uplifting. And I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I've come a long way since I talked to you in that uh, <laughs> military apartment in, totally. in Japan in 2017. <laughs> hey, here you are. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Whitney. Okay, what'd you think? Pretty sweet stuff, right? I really loved the approach to that equation. I think that was the thing that really stood out to me most is don't overcomplicate this stuff. We know what variables we can control and which ones we can't, and we can start to choose investments that fit within that equation and our time horizon ideally. That was my big takeaway. I'd love to hear from you. What did you take away from this? Tag me on Instagram and let me know. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. So come say hi. All right. That's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds podcast. Bye. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.